The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe. On this first Sunday of the month, as is our custom, we welcome all of whatever age, station, or background to participate in the sacrament of Holy Communion. Those listening on the radio may request communion in the home by calling the chapel office. On this Sunday, we commend to you the ministry of the chapel and its programmatic offerings. We invite those so moved to identify as members of the chapel chapter simply by speaking with our director of hospitality, Rachel Cape, or one of the clergy, or by leaving a note in the collection plate. On this Sunday, we encourage all to continue or to commence the practice of tithing, of disciplined giving, and to indicate interests in giving to our chapel director, Ray Bouchard. On this first Sunday, we ask, to ask you to ask yourself what form your ministry here will take in the coming weeks. A community luncheon follows worship downstairs, and all are warmly invited. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the first epistle of St. John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was re revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed that the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have, may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in reading re responsively with Psalm 22, verses 25 through 31, with the Antiphon. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And proclaim his deliverance to the people yet unborn saying that he has done it. Please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be afraid. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There will you see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for, fear, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. To be mature, said Ernest Campbell, is to build schools in which you will never study, to plant trees under which you will never sit, to grow churches in which you will never worship. John, the beloved disciple, the author of 1 John, John would agree. John Dempster would agree. John would agree. John Appleseed would agree. John would agree. John Wesley would agree with regard to building schools and planting trees and growing churches. Following the calamitous, thunderous, munificent apocalypse of love that is Easter, strewn about the lawn of life, there are parcels, parcels and morsels of bits and pieces that we need to attend to. So today we have heard the reading of the Easter Gospel for this year a second time, Mark 16, 1 through 8. This uh, portion of the Gospel ends with a preposition, the word for, the word for, for in Greek. It ends in mid-sentences, that is. They were sore afraid for dot, dot, dot. It is an un finished gospel. When we gather for the Lord's Supper, come Easter and Easter tide, we are met by an unfinished grace. In the case of Mark 16, the gospel is literally not a word I use often with regard to the Bible. In this case, literally unfinished. Oh, some who have commented, who are more critical moderates, have argued that there are two or three other places in antiquity where a document ends with a preposition in this way, but most, the uh, moderate critics, if you will, see and sense that probably what happened here was that a, par a portion of the codus, the ancient manuscript, was lost, as often happened at the beginning and the ending. So there is literally an unfinished grace that meets us. Should you question or doubt, which I hope you will, you might want to consider that the further use of Mark 16 invariably involved people trying to finish the unfinished, to end the unending ending, beginning with 
Mark, or whoever followed in Mark's name, him or herself. That is, that there are two alternative endings to Mark, one longer and one shorter. They're not necessarily improvements, except in a grammatical sense, but they are attempts to finish the unfinished. Likewise, 20 years later, Matthew and Luke came along and they gave their own ending to the unending ending. They, uh, it's as if you were to buy a house, an older home, and you want to add a family room that hadn't been there, so you build on a family room and you try and fit the aesthetic and the age of the home, but those who visit know this is an addition, a nice addition. Matthew and Luke make such an addition. Likewise, the fourth gospel, the writer of which may have known a sketch of Mark 16, 1 through 8, adds to that portion of his Easter message a further story you remember about Mary, a further story you remember about the disciples, a further story you remember about Thomas. We are met come Easter in the Holy Communion before us with an unfinished grace. That is, friends, life is open, freedom is real, we are cautioned to have a little bit of humility about what we think we know. You may, for instance, be returning, I don't know, one or another from a long series of days and meetings at a conference, say a general conference of the Methodist Church in Tampa. You may have been there two weeks and discovered that the meeting itself was an unmitigated disaster, and here you come home, and you may be a little bit tired and weary and wondering what the future holds. Mark this, come Easter. The future contains a grace that is alive, afoot, active, and unfinished. Unfinished grace, for one thing, meets us in encouragement, come Easter. For another thing, this is another of these parcels and morsels from the lawn of life strewn about after the calamitous and thunderous tornado-like event of the apocalypse of love at Easter. We didn't hear from John chapter 19 this year, another year we will, but in a service midweek, I heard the reading of that passage just before the resurrection accounts. You remember it. It involves a person who doesn't appear in the other Gospels. He had been stage center in John chapter 3. He had visited Jesus at night. He is the quintessential professor, college professor or other, and his name is Nicodemus. How, he asked, can I be born anew? Must I enter my mother's womb once more? And Jesus replied, the spirit blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes, and so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. There is Nicodemus, and then he disappears all the way, with one exception, to the very end of the gospel, and he reappears. The other Gospels have Jesus buried by Joseph of Arimathea alone. But here comes Nicodemus just at the very end. 
A little late, you might say, perhaps too late, he thought, to respond finally in love to the one who loved him to death. And here he is, John 19, 29, bringing along to the grave a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes, a pretty penny, my friend, away though late, but it wasn't too late, though he didn't know that, to respond in love to the unfinished grace of the Easter gospel. So poignant, so human, so typical of who we are. We don't know what we've got till it's gone. We don't know what we had till it's lost. And then Nicodemus responds, and here he is, one of those points parcels, morsels of the Easter accounts. You may be wondering what happened, say, at a meeting over the last couple of weeks. Maybe you realize now as you've come home across the country, someone in Nebraska or Arizona may realize just what happened. Oh my goodness. For 200 years in one way or another in our denomination, the United Methodist Church, we have had a security of appointment, which was the basis for the covenant of clergy in the conference, which was the basis for the functioning of itinerancy and appointment and apportionment, and especially was the basis for the freedom, the protection of the freedom of the pulpit from Episcopal overseers who might be made uncomfortable and respond accordingly by something said in the freedom of the gospel. And what you notice, without debate, without conversation in the full plenary, gone. It would be like in a stroke eliminating tenure on the Charles River campus without debate. And you come home and you see, oh, so that's what we had. Covenant, gone. Itinerancy, gone. Freedom, gone. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. True of friendship, relationship. True of the sense of a college experience. Sometimes you don't really realize what you had until that last two weeks. So poignant so true. And here comes Nicodemus with his myrrh and aloe. And isn't there a bit of Nicodemus in each one of us, sensing that it's too late but coming anyway? And in the gospel, the unfinished grace of Easter, it's not too late. It's not too late. Even all of these things that have so recently transpired, they can be modified by a judicial council. They can be modified and replaced by a future vote. There's more future in the future sometimes than the future you see. This unfinished grace in bread and cup meets us to encourage and also to caution us about what we think we know about what may transpire. These are the, por the portions, the, the parts of Easter that linger with us here in this nave and in this community. There's another on Easter in the six services from Thursday till Sunday, three on Easter morning. 
We had an explosion of body and spirit. We had a thousand people in those six services. And the additional service on Easter at nine, to, for which the choir sang, was a portion of that. Following the last service and the joy of Easter, I happened to look up at a window. The window is the last one here on the West End, and it is devoted to Francis Willard. For those listening on the radio, I'm making my way down the center aisle of Marsh Chapel to greet in a more personal way the happy and friendly faces and people of our beloved congregation. I'm going to ask them, and you afar in the mind's eye, to turn and take a look at the one woman in the large windows here. She is just to my left and to the left of Abraham Lincoln. You know, when Daniel Marsh rebuilt the sanctuary, built this uh, chapel 60 years ago, he solicited input about who should be in the final window. The other seven came from the older chapel. He knew he wanted Lincoln, so he asked for advice, and guess what? He got some advice. <laughs> Names and input from near and far. And finally, he selected, over time, a window devoted to Francis Willard, former dean of women at Northwestern University, a pioneer, a feminist, a suffragette of the 19th century, one of the great forces behind temperance and prohibition in the 19th century. She died in 1898, 20-some years before women received the right to vote. She had been born near Rochester, New York, in the land known to Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and she was a powerful voice aiming through temperance to, to the voting rights that later came for women. My grandmother was born 30 years before women had the right to vote in this country. My mother was born eight years after suffrage. Can you believe it? Here enshrined is Francis Willard, who said, temperance is moderation in things that are good and abstinence from things that are not. Well, we would agree with that. It seems, though, that in our setting and in our time, the presence, the awkward presence of Francis Willard in our nave reminds us, speaking of unfinished grace, that we have in our setting some unfinished work with regard to developing a culture across the country a faith that is amenable to culture and a culture amenable to faith, particularly in the use, the social use, of beverage alcohol. We're not done. Her route turned out to be the wrong one. Prohibition, as Ken Burns has fully reminded us and well, didn't work, and we're not headed in that direction. But she reminds us by her presence that we still have work to do, to find a way to shape a culture that, as she said, of temperance is moderation in things that are good and abstinence from things that aren't. I'm going to linger with you here, Jay, just for a minute with Frances Willard, only to say this. There's another aspect of her story that I think you should know. See her standing there, bright and tall in her blue gown. She traveled the country many years, 30,000 miles a year and 400 speeches every year, accompanied by her longtime partner and companion, Anna Adams Gordon. She said when challenged about her relationship with Gordon, let me tell you 
There is not a village in this country that has no example of two hearts in council, both of which are feminine. She's telling us something, especially those of you who may, I don't know, have come back from a meeting in Tampa or elsewhere, that there is a day coming when eight and nine-year-old girls and boys in our Sunday schools around the globe who know that they're not in the majority in orientation will nonetheless feel and hear and know the full blessing of the ministry of the gospel, the unfinished grace. It's coming. For Frances Willard, it came 23 years after her death, suffrage. And some of us may not be living to witness the change, but it's coming. It's coming how? Like the glory of the morning on the wave. It is wisdom to the mighty. It is honor to the brave. And the world will be its footstool and the soul of wrong its slave. God's truth is marching on. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and one who loves is born of God and knows God. One who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the expiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love abides in us and is perfected in us. To be mature is to build schools in which you will not study, to plant seeds of trees under which you will never sit, to grow churches in which you will not worship. John would agree. John Dempster, John Appleseed. John Wesley. Amen.
Please be seated. We greet you here in the nave of Marsh Chapel once again this morning and invite you to take a moment to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We would note that next Sunday is This I Believe Sunday when four of our graduating seniors will offer This I Believe reflections on what their faith has meant to them during their time here at Boston University. We hope you can join us for that. We hope you can also join us the following Sunday May 20th for the baccalaureate service here in the Native Marsh Chapel at 11 o'clock in the morning. We would encourage you as the ushers wait upon us to meditate on Kenneth Jennings' All You Works of the Lord, Bless the Lord, sung by the choir. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
We give you thanks, O God, this day for life and work and peace. Now bless these gifts and those who have given them to the work of ministry in this place and throughout the world. Amen. In baptism we died with Christ, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, we might walk in newness of life. Let us receive new life in him as we confess our sins in penitence and faith. Father eternal, giver of light and grace, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in what we have thought, in what we have said and done, through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have wounded your love and marred your image in us. We are sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with heartfelt repentance and true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and forgive you for all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The risen Christ came and stood among his disciples and said, Peace be with you. Then were they glad when they saw the Lord. Alleluia. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let us share with one another a sign of peace. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. In your loving care, you spread before us the table of life and give us the cup of salvation to drink. Keep us always in the fold of our Savior and our Shepherd, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Blessed be God forever. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, always and everywhere, to give you thanks, Almighty and Eternal Father, and in these days of Easter to celebrate with joyful hearts the memory of your wonderful works. For by the mystery of his passion, Jesus Christ, your risen Son, has conquered the powers of death and hell, and has restored in men and women the image of your glory. He has placed them once more in paradise and opened to them the gate of life eternal. And so in the joy of his Passover, earth and heaven resound with gladness, while angels and archangels and the powers of all creation sing forever the hymn of your glory.
Lord, you are holy indeed, the source of all holiness. Grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit and according to your holy will, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who, in the same night that he was betrayed, took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. And so, Father, calling to mind his death on the cross, his perfect sacrifice made once for the sins of the whole world, rejoicing in his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, and looking for his coming in glory, we celebrate this memorial of our redemption. As we offer you this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, we bring before you this bread and this cup, and we thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. Send the Holy Spirit on your people and gather into one in your kingdom all who share this one bread and one cup, so that we in the company of John, Salome, Mary, and Nicodemus, and all the saints may praise and glorify you forever through Jesus Christ our Lord. By whom and with whom and in whom, in the unity of all the saints, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread.
sin of the world, blessed are those who are called to his supper. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, and I shall be healed.
Let us pray. Holy God, we see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. May we who are partakers at his table reflect his life in word and deed, that all the world may know his power to change and save. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Occasions teach new duties. Time makes ancient good uncouth. 
one must upward still and onward, who would keep abreast of truth. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forever. Amen.